0: The medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen into to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Hey friends, welcome back to Geological, and if you're new here, I hope you find this topic today on dreams to be interesting and hopefully helpful in your clinical work too. We know that the language and perspective of Chinese and East Asian medicine, it gives us a whole different glimpse into physiology, health, illness, and healing. And if you've learned a foreign tongue, then you've had experience with how language shapes thought, perspective, and possibility. The systems or currents of medicine that we practice, that too gives us a framework, or as they'd say in Chinese, a jiao du, a perspective, that helps us to orient and make sense of a patient's experience and then, more importantly, how we might be able to help them. For many cultures, dreams are a powerful way of sensing that speak with a language of their own and can carry important information from our subconscious up into that sliver of consciousness that we usually give credit to for running the show. But dreams have their own way of holding and conveying information. And our rational mind is not particularly well-suited to that kind of language. So how do we learn to tune our ears and sensing to the fluidic, symbolic language of dreams? It is doable, and there are some surprising possibilities that can arise with the right kind of inquiry. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to sit down today with Bob Quinn for a discussion on dreaming in East Asian medicine. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business, you're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? Acufast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast.
1: Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula, or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust my way for your health and wellness needs, and as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
0: Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change, versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things, are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales, The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April, with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code Cheological for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Bob, welcome to Cheological.
2: Brother Michael, thank you for having me.
0: There's something about knowing someone across the distance of decades, you know, even if we're not always in touch You know, it's like stepping stones from uh, one moment in our experience to another.
2: I met you at the Nigel Dawes seminar, which would have been 11 years ago here in Portland.
0: That's right. It was Nigel Dawes.
2: That was the first seminar I hosted. Well, and you've done quite a few since. Yes. I did that one on my own. Then I set up a company. We had our 10-year anniversary in February. Congratulations. Thinking of our topic, dreams, today, we hosted three Chinese medicine dream work seminars that were very successful. It's been a great way for me to learn and pull a community together.
0: Well, that's our subject today is dreams. I'd love to know how you got started with this dream work. What called
2: you? It started in a very personal way. In 1993, I was still teaching high school in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, it was very clear I was entering the troubled waters of divorce. And uh, someone invited me into uh, a men's dream group. It was actually a co-worker, and her her husband ran the dream group. Two of the men in the group, and it was small, there, I think there were only six, seven of us, had studied in their master's programs with Jeremy Taylor at Holy Names College in the greater Bay Area. Uh, I hadn't heard of Jeremy. I hadn't really been aware of this whole movement of of dream work. Of course, I was aware of Freud and Jung, roughly speaking. And that started the whole process of me starting to unravel the layers, and there are many of them, layers of meaning in dreams. I started my Chinese medicine study in 95, been practicing since 98, so this is my 20th year in practice. It wasn't until much later on, really just seven, eight years ago, that I'm embarrassed to admit I didn't know how much was written about dreams in uh, the Neijing, And I know there's a little bit in uh, some other texts. I'll tell the story eventually here in our conversation in a very organic way. And it just really grabbed me. And I, I just started to run with it and eventually reconnected with Jeremy Taylor. So in that initial study, starting in 93, I I met Jeremy. He came up twice for just day-long seminars, so that there was some established relationship. When I reconnected with him, maybe it was eight years ago, I I called him up and, and said, would you be willing to come up here and explore this theme of medical meaning in dreams well he was very familiar jung wrote about it and others as well that uh, health issues come up all the time in dreams not literally all the time but often and jeremy for decades was a, a volunteer dream worker at an aids hospice in the bay area he was well aware of how often health issues emerge Symbolically, always uh, in the dreams, and we have to learn how to read that. So that's how I got into it. It was just through this personal attempt to understand what was going on in my life emotionally, going through divorce. Then over time, it just became a big part of my practice now in Chinese medicine.
0: It's amazing how this stuff happens. I, I think a lot of us came to Chinese medicine through the door of our own health issues. I don't think it's unusual that the questions that we have for ourselves often become sort of a guiding or illuminating path for the way that we practice medicine and and also the kind of medicine that we study. What aspect of the medicine attracts us?
2: Yeah, well, look where I ended up. I ended up at NUNM here in Portland. National University of Natural Medicine in the School of Classical Chinese Medicine, which is started by Heiner Fruhoff, who I think most people will recognize his name. And Heiner's famous for many, many things. His contributions are are many. But one thing he always says is Chinese medicine is an ancient symbol science, and of course, his own background in comparative literature and the European classics equips him better than anyone I've encountered uh, to be the one making this message. I think it's compelling. And so I end up in an institution where uh, reading what we would call the nuts and bolts reality everyone thinks of symbolically is well accepted and studied, in fact. And so it was the perfect place for me to end up to start exploring this dream work. And Heiner himself is very good at this kind of work. A few years ago in the summer, we had a, a dream group of our own in the department with the, the dean and uh, Heiner, Heiner's wife, Heiner's mother-in-law, a local astrologer, a cultural anthropologist, and another Chinese scholar with 23 years in China and a PhD in Taoist philosophy. All these people in one dream group, it was absolutely amazing. And and Heiner has real talent for it. He's very comfortable in the world of symbols. I don't know how else to say it. And it's really helped me. It's helped me. It's given me the license to explore this in our clinic. I'm not sure if at all other schools in the country that this would be welcome. I just don't know.
0: I'm really struck by what you just said. There's a phrase. You said the world of symbols. That rings a resonance in me, because so much of the medicine that we practice—it is a medicine of symbols, in a sense, right? I mean, if you look at the back of your hand and the way that you can see the veins, it sort of mirrors what you would see in a leaf, you know, or you would mirror what you see in streams. We talk about wind not just as an external phenomena, but internal phenomena. I mean, the way that we image the body and the being for that matter, with the medicine that we practice, it's, it's a very symbolic language.
2: As above, so below, the Hermetic adage. This is a cosmological science, and only at NUNM, in the whole country, I'm pretty confident this is true. You studied two entire years of Chinese cosmology. In fact, one year is required of the students. We're trying to train the students to think symbolically. And we acquaint them with the symbols that the Chinese would associate with spleen, would associate with large intestine, and so on down the line. So how
0: do dreams come into all of this? I mean, I, I mean, my suspicion is, for those that are listening to our conversation now, since they're doing Chinese medicine, they probably have an open mind toward dreams. It might be something they've worked with themselves, certainly not something they would dismiss. But in terms of bringing that into our clinical
2: practice...
0: How would you start to move down that path?
2: It's simpler than you would think. First of all, let me start with this quote from Jeremy. Uh, This is not in one of his books, but he said that here in Portland in one of the three seminars, no system of medicine that excludes dreams and their significance can make a legitimate claim on being holistic in nature. That's quite a statement, but it's, it's almost mathematical. One third of the time you're asleep. How could you claim to be holistic if you're considering the patient only when the patient is awake and you're believing that what happens when the patient is asleep is unimportant, uh, insignificant? That's nothing but a bias, a fairly modern one. There are other cultures, many of them, where they hold the dream material as being sacred, really, and, and very, very significant. So my doctoral work was on the topic wholeness in traditional East Asian medicine. It took 100 pages to come at this question, what does it mean to be a legitimately holistic uh, medicine and is Chinese one, a Chinese medicine one? So that made his work, Jeremy's work, so significant for me when I really started bringing it into the Chinese medicine To answer your question, I wanna look at a patient dream. Actually, let's look at the very first dream I worked as a Chinese medicine dream.
0: Nothing like a little case study to illuminate what we're talking about.
2: And then I'll tell uh, another one after that, but let me first set the stage here. This is a group acupuncture clinic at the National University of Natural Medicine. Back then it was actually National College of Natural Medicine. And a lot of students interested in going into public health work. So we run a, a group shift. So they learn to work relatively quickly. And so in four hours in the shift, we, we would see 22 patients and things move at a pretty snappy pace. This one young woman was coming and uh, chief complaint uh, anxiety was actually fairly significant in degree. There are many days she couldn't go outside her front door. She came over a period of some months, maybe four or five, sporadically, and maybe some small improvement. She said one day when she came, I'm thinking of joining a, a master's program in transpersonal psychology. Uh, inside, I'm thinking, oh boy, you ought, ought to first be able to reliably go out the front door <laughs> every day and of course we don't say things like that no but oh my
0: goodness it really catches your attention doesn't it
2: yeah yeah so the students and I felt the pulse and did our assessments and the students put the needles in and I was standing there and to this day I don't know how these words came out of my mouth because I had not been contemplating doing dream work with Chinese medicine I had no idea that was really disgust in the aging. But I said to this young woman, have you had any dreams lately? And she said no. So I turned to walk away and she said, well, just one image. Well, Jeremy Taylor's got a fascinating part of one of his books uh, where he talks about taking the barest whisper of a fragment of a dream and how a dream group developed an incredible meaning from it. And the dreamer radically changed his life because of that one little fragment of a dream. And so in this method, we ask clarifying questions. And I say, well, what is the fragment? She said, a snake on a road. Keep in mind that I'm in the middle of a room with probably five, six other patients, and things are moving at a fast pace. Uh, I have to move quickly here. Students need my attention. But you could think, if you're listening to this podcast, what would I ask? snake on a road well i don't know what can you say about the road well it's a dirt road what about the snake are there colors yellow and green she says without hesitation are you frightened of the snake no are you facing it sort of eyeball to eyeball yeah we're looking at each other is it abnormally big no it's a normal size snake Uh, anything else around? Is this a a road in a city? No, we're out in the country. Are there trees? Yeah. Are there leaves on the tree? Yeah. So, these are my clarifying questions. And then I've got to decide something. And I quickly go through. I've got a dirt road. I've got yellow. And I've got snake, which is Heiner teaches, is the archetypal animal for spleen. So, three things say earth. And then I've got green uh, for the... (laughs) <laughs> I've got trees and I've got green and I've got the focus on the eyes. I've got wood and I've got earth. And then I think, well, do I take a wood point on an earth channel, an earth point on a wood channel and which one am I doing, yin and yang? And then I thought, oh, this is on a road. So Taichung, I think this is going to be liver three, great thoroughfare. Thoroughfare is mm-hmm. a road. So I say, I'm going to put one more needle in. I think it has something to say about your dream. And would you pay attention to this point? And so I just dropped the needle in uh, right, as I recall, uh, liver three. And I I noticed 15, 20 minutes later, the student uh, intern was taking the needles out. I was occupied with another patient. But I noticed that the young woman wasn't getting up out of her lounge chair and leaving. And when I could, I went over because it was clear she wanted to talk to me. And I said, I'm curious if that needle had anything to say to you. And her eyes fairly bugged out of her head. She said, I became the eyes of the snake. She was really rocked back on her heels and I was immediately rocked back on my heels. And all I could say is, wow. And we couldn't talk about it then because I got pulled away if she came back one more time, it was really just to say uh, goodbye. But I'm not even clear in my recollection there. But I started working dreams with every patient who was willing to. And in just a a few weeks, I had dozens and dozens under my belt. And in a few months, hundreds. And uh, I called Jeremy Taylor on the phone. I said, (laughs) you might not remember me from Eugene, you know, from Chris's group. And he said, oh, no, no, I remember. And I talked about what was going on here? And he said, sure, he'd love to come. And that was how the whole thing got started was with that one dream where I felt like a point name was possibly being suggested. Well, that's happened many times since then, but I wouldn't say that's the most common. It's actually not the most common way that dreams come where a particular point name is referenced. And and maybe it's more common than I'm aware of, and I just don't, I'm not uh, clear enough on all the different point names.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But something comes up, yeah?
2: Yeah, what's more common is, uh, well, go back to, to the way I explained that, how I found repeated themes. We had the snake, we had the yellow, we had the earth road. So this idea of looking for repeated themes That's how I learned my astrology long ago as well. Don't hang your hat on just one single thing. If it's going to be important in the dream, it's going to in the chart. It's going to in the dream as well. It's going to be a repeated theme. And so that's what I tell people who are interested in doing this work. And some of our students have graduated, and they have been keeping in touch with me. And it's become not only significant for their uh, patients and their own uh, family, just to be able to unravel what the dreams are saying. So anyway, it's, it's been marvelously uh, interesting, and it's a, definitely an ongoing project. And I would say my approach is never going to be as sophisticated as Heiner's, who, who, who knows all these Chinese myths and And they do show up in the dreams that became perfectly obvious in our summer uh, dream group that we had there. That was probably three years ago, maybe four. For me, I look for repeating uh, five-phase references. Uh, Very common to have uh, three-story buildings in a dream, for instance. Uh, And so then you've got san jiao that you can look for. Is there a focus on middle jiao, upper jiao, and so on?
3: Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits and more and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
0: I was listening to you unpack this, and the way that you inquired into it, oh, snake on a road. And I'm thinking to myself, snake on a road? All right, you know, what do you do with that? And then it's like, well, what kind of road? And where's the road? And You know, what's around the road? And it occurs to me, we already know how to do this kind of inquiry. Because when a patient comes in, they go, "Eh, you know, I got this stomach pain. And we go, oh, is it here? And we point to our epigastrium. Or is it here? And we point toward our belly. And they go, oh, it's here. And they point to their epigastrium. And we go, is that more troublesome for you before you eat or after you eat? Right? I mean, we already are skilled at taking something that seems like just a little nothing or a throwaway and unpacking it.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It's really using the same skill set. Here with the dream, we're looking to make it visually, I'm looking to make it visually clear to me so that I can imagine it as my dream. Jeremy called his work projective dream work uh, because he said, if, I, if Michael tells me a dream. I am going to filter all those images through my own lived experience. In reality, all I offer is going to be projection 100% pure and simple, which is not to say that it's not going to be spot on and useful. It might be, it might not be. But we have to recognize that it will be projection and that we have to watch our language then. So we say things like, well, Michael, if this were my dream, and I do this all the time with patients, I say, in my imagined version of your dream, or if, if I dreamed the images you just told me, I would be thinking X, Y, Z. It might not be the so spot on. It might be just a projection without any real good basis. And there's a danger for us in a Chinese medicine because we've got our favorite theories and uh, we want to see them everywhere in every dream. That's why I say you have to stay in the images, right? Stay close to the images that were described and don't use them as a launching point to get removed two, three, four steps into your favorite theory and convince yourself that this dream was about your favorite theory in Chinese medicine. Uh, stay in the images. Look for repeated themes. That's the best advice I can give people. You can get quite far down the road doing just the the basics. Like say, someone is driving south. Oh, thinking fire element. They're on Highway One. Oh, in the Worsley scheme, one was the heart. So the the kind of uh, they're lining up already. I'm on Pacific Coast Highway. Oh. P, C, H, pericardium heart, two other, you know, and and I'm in a red car, right? And so we look for repeated themes like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Like a differential diagnosis.
2: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes all the elements are there except one. We have clear references, multiple, for all of them except one. Then I'm interested in the one, not the four that show up. So you have to think a little bit. It's like Sherlock Holmes, sort of.
0: It sounds like fun. I mean, again, it doesn't sound foreign to the way that we work. It's just a matter of redirecting our attention into this other sphere using skills that we already have. Another thing that occurs to me is in doing this and asking these kinds of questions, it allows the dreamer to take a moment and fill it in.
2: Yeah, that happens. You're right
0: you know, perhaps they didn't have all the detail in the dream. And maybe even the dream they actually had doesn't match the dream that they report. But when you inquire of them, and they're starting to go inside, and they're looking, and they're feeling, and they're reconstructing, they're going to create something that's got a certain coherence with what's going on with them.
2: Right. That's the point that Jung makes, by the way. It's worth making that here, that a person can redream a certain scene in a dream multiple times, and there they could be slight differences. I experience this in my own dreams all the time, and they can even come concurrently. Uh, two versions of the same scene with slight variations. So when you ask them uh, for details, it sort of is like a. It all collapses. The one that they pick out to tell you is the one that you should be working. And that they might report two iterations, uh, and then you have to work both.
0: Well, there's often more information, I would suspect. You know, I mean, we see this in our regular clinical practice. Sometimes as people just, they begin to get a better felt sense of their body, they can report more sensations that they have in their body.
2: Yeah, especially the, the big dreams. You know, Carl Jung talked about, I can't remember what the number was, three or four or five big dreams upon which our life will turn. Those kinds of really big, big dreams, they're worked for years and years and years. I just recently had an insight to one that I, I worked with Jeremy uh, many times. He and I stayed in touch by telephone uh, almost every month. We, we work uh, my dreams, and one I, I worked many, many times and uh, innumerable hours on my own, and I recently got another insight into it. It's just uh, astonishing how many layers of meaning are there. I would say that nothing insignificant shows up in a dream, but it all has significance of one degree or another.
0: I suspect the stuff that shows up is the stuff that might be more easily digested at that moment in time, and then as as that's incorporated, then deeper material has a way of surfacing.
2: Yeah, I I suspect you're right there.
0: I heard you talk about Heiner's sort of fluidity and uh, fluency with a lot of symbolic language and a lot of the symbolic Chinese stuff and, and some of the European as well, and it occurs to me that every one of us has some kind of a symbolic language that's ours, right? It could be the fairy tales we read as kids. It could be the poetry that we read as adults. It, it, It could be the Doctor Who series that we watch on Netflix. I mean, there's all kinds of places where we build our own symbolic library. And my suspicion is it's probably better to bring our symbolic library that we're familiar with to the encounter rather than try to grab someone else's. Does that, does that make sense? Am I on the right track here?
2: Yeah, that's also, again, why Jeremy called his work projective uh, dream work. But to get to your question, they both show up. The, the grand themes that are in embedded in the myths, they do show up in our dreams. As Jung would say, they were all part of the collective unconscious. But the personal shows up as well. And for us as clinicians, that's why we have to be in a a dialogue with our patients about their dreams. We can't just tell them as the sage from on high exactly what the meaning of their dreams would be. For instance, maybe someone had a a very terrifying experience with snakes as a child, then the snake dream that I described to you is going to have a different layer of meaning And then for this patient who had had actually no previous horrible experiences with snakes. I have to finish that story, actually. After that dream, it was about five months later, I brought Jeremy the first time. And that whole five months, as I said, I don't know if I saw that patient again. And if it was, it was just that she came to say goodbye. And then on the Monday after Jeremy left, I was in a a part of our campus and I was looking for an office and I didn't know where it was. And someone passed by and I I said, do you know where the such and such office is? And she said, yeah, it's down there on the left. And then she walked past and then I caught her. I said, hey, 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 you used to come to my group shift. She said, yeah. Hi, Dr. Quinn. How are you? I said, you had that wild dream about the snake. She said, and you wouldn't believe what happened. She said, it rocked me so much, I had to go out and walk about. She said, I just packed everything in my car and I took off. She said, I was driving on a dirt road through the Arizona desert and a giant snake crossed the road in front of the car. I was driving very slowly. She said, I parked and I followed it through the desert. Uh, First of all, does it sound like someone crippled with anxiety following a giant snake through the desert?
0: Wow. I've got goosebumps here. It's...
2: (laughs) And she said, and I had a cosmic download that I wasn't supposed to study transpersonal psychology. I was supposed to study Chinese medicine. And uh, she was in that administration building there because she had already applied and been accepted. I, I was unaware of that. And she had just been there to put it on hold because she had just learned she was pregnant. So that that's how that story finished. As She still, as of this date, has has not, maybe she went to a different school. She has not uh, enrolled in our program. I think the child must be five, six years old now, something like that. So that's how that story finishes. And you see uh, how significant one dream worked for five minutes can be in a person's life. And that's what really draws me into this because I'm very interested in the transformative potential of uh, chinese medicine and i don't think it's any accident that this ended up really with its own chapter in uh, the zuwen and Shu. you know it's just uh, it's all there talk
0: to us a little bit about what you found in the uh, lingshu about uh, about dreams
2: well let me give some quotes from Ling Shu, when the kidneys are are in excess, one dreams that the spine is detached from the body. When they are weak, one dreams of being immersed in water. And it goes through all the yin organs that way, uh, but also you see the, the yang are dealt with as well, and going through excess signs and deficiency signs. And so you end up with 30 or so images Well, the first thing, if you go out and try to do dream work with that, you're immediately confronted with a problem because those images don't come up that much. Being immersed in water, that comes up all the time. Dreaming of volcanoes comes up all the time. Dreaming of your spine being detached from the body, I've yet to hear it. So they don't have enough images. Well, I asked one of the Chinese faculty at our school, do you have any friends in China who Do this dream work. He said, Oh, yeah, they asked their patients about these specific dreams. Well, that's where I'm saying that being mentored by Heiner has had real value for me because even in the, say, like an herbal classic where you think it's being literal and it's in black and white, if this, this, this happens, you have to give lily bulb. That doesn't mean that to Heiner. It means you give lily bulb or something like lily bulb. He's never going to be literal. Here, being literal about the few images that are mentioned is useless. You can't get anywhere working people's dreams with these few images. And Heiner would say it was never meant to be these few images. This is meant to give a taste of how the work goes. Organ by organ, right? Well, being in water and thinking of kidneys, what's the big surprise there? Things flying in the air and thinking of the metal element, what's so surprising about that? Or dreaming of white objects, what's so surprising about thinking of uh, the lung there? Or dreaming of being in a forest with mushrooms, what's so surprising about thinking of liver there? It's it's actually just common sense familiarity with the five element language. So that is how we go about this work. We we look for common sense references to things we should know quite well from our Chinese medicine training.
0: And we're looking for excess and deficiency
2: aspects of it. That's what we have from the Neijing. Yeah, the way it might work in a dream, you would have to see sort of uh, what condition. Do the elements seem to be in in these uh, dream images. You can read from what's going on in the images. Is it is saying that the you know the liver is perfectly healthy, or here's an example of a dream that came up in one of Jeremy's seminars. Here, of someone slipping. These are the dreamer's words on a dilapidated wooden deck and sliding across it, and then hanging by her fingertips off the edge when under her is a raging chasm because there's been a torrential downpour. So dilapidated wooden deck, is the liver function healthy? It can't be, right? It's her, in fact, it's her downfall in the dream. And in this case, uh, I don't know what was going on with her uh, liver organ, but liver as a vision Function in her life right liver as going to the east where the sun rises This needed major reworking in her life and after that dream I don't know if we'll go through the whole dream, but she totally got that message and Dramatically reworked her whole life The career changed went into this big uh, training for qigong therapy and on and on all because she recognized and a recurring nightmare of decades never came again.
0: Wow. Let's take a few minutes and dig into that a little bit.
2: In that dream, you had the, the raging water. Uh, but earlier in the dream, per, a person could see actually, that's not the problem. Even though water was coming up in the barnyard, in the dream, the dreamer looks out and her horses, right? This is the, the heart the archetypal animal for the heart organ network is the horse. Her horse, which by the way is named Precious, was okay. So water is not what I, as a practitioner, need to worry about for this patient, even though it's accumulating and it's raging in the chasm below. The best place to work on for this patient is her downfall, which is the wood. There is that choice often in a dream that more than one element will be discussed and it's sort of like like the dream is a presenting a, a boulder, and we've got a lever, you know, a pole or a pipe, and we can place it in a, no, a number of places to try to get this boulder to move. And if we really contemplate what's going on in the dream, we can make a reasonably intelligent guess about where we best place the lever. Now, in some cases, like the dream I told of the liver three, we, we get wood and earth in one point, That's being very efficient. Um, and so they're both covered, but that's not always going to be the case.
0: Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer, and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective, You know, I'm just thinking about that first dream treatment that you did there. It Sometimes it seems like the universe just hands us something really juicy on the first go-round just to make sure that we're paying attention. It's like, oh, you're paying attention to this. Okay, watch this. And then you get hooked. It's like, oh, there might be something here. And then it gets harder. Then you got to work it.
2: Yeah, I'd like to tell a dream where you see the whole treatment over a period of a a few years is told all in one dream. You game? It's not that long a dream.
0: Yeah, no, let's have it.
2: And it's got an herbal component here that I think will be interesting to you. This was told to me over the phone. I hadn't yet treated this patient, although I have since then treated uh, her many times. She was maybe a year from retirement at the time of this dream, and she didn't yet have a diagnosis of chronic Lyme that uh, later was established. She was suicidal at this time. She was just in so much pain and unable to sleep at all at night, and if not for having a son, she would have committed suicide, she said to me many times. So she's in a wooden boat with her mother, on a narrow jungle river. Uh, The foliage at the riverside rises steeply and it's quite tall, almost canyon-like, she describes it. She comes round a bend again in this wooden boat with her mother. On the right, she sees a village and puts into shore there. At this point in the dream, the mother figure disappears. And so the dreamer walks up this small hill into the village a witch doctor meets her. And he looks every bit the the role with a bone going through his nose and uh, barely dressed. And there is a hut, she understands it to be his hut right there. And in it, it's filled with wicker baskets with lids. She goes in, she reaches into a basket, pulls out a poisonous snake and bites its head off. And that's the end of the dream.
0: Holy smokes.
2: Keep in mind, this is someone who at this point has for over 40 years been part of animal rescue. And the thought of biting the head off an animal like that, she was horrified by this dream. For her, this qualified as a nightmare. Again, remembering that she's not at the time of this dream aware that she has a diagnosis of chronic Lyme. She later did, you know, igienics testing and other things and I hadn't yet treated her. This was just in a phone conversation. She was someone I, I had known since uh, 1984. So the, the I- image we start with, this narrow jungle river and the, the foliage going up like a canyon at the side, I thought this is the very image of a liver constraint. Uh jungle river, the the water is tricky in Chinese medicine because we've got the lung as the upper source of water. It's not tricky if it's salt water, then we know it's gotta be the real water element. And so we'll leave that aside for a moment. So that it's starting in a wooden boat and very green and very narrow and constrained. Any idea what her first formula was? And the emotional the the emotional mess she's in?
0: Uh, one of the Chai Hu formulas I would think.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, with Mu Li, right, that ah, formula. Okay. And she stayed on that. That's not the typical way that Heiner, Heiner would teach for doing the Gu Syndrome. Uh, but this that formula, in one week, had her non-suicidal.
0: Chai hu jia longu Mu Li Tang?
2: Yep, unmodified. For, she stayed on it for at least two months. Before I got to the, the whole Goose Syndrome approach that Heiner teaches, then it's, it's going chronologically. Then we come to this uh, village. And interesting, this idea of the mother disappearing and also that we have a mother and daughter. So to me, that's given me license to think, which I'm already predisposed to think as a meridian therapist in terms of mother-child relationships. So I'm thinking if I identify the lung, then maybe kidney is there or maybe spleen is there, right? I want a mother-child relationship. Then this uh, witch doctor. Well, dreams are full of puns. Witch doctor is W-I-T-C-H. But in her waking life experience, she's wondering which doctor to go to. (laughs) W-H-I-C-H. It happens all the time. Word plays and puns are in every other dream.
0: So dreams are a little mischievous that way, huh?
2: Yeah, there's a coyote element to them. And notice what kind of medicine does the witch doctor practice? Close to the earth. He's not even dressed. And it's just a native village. It's all dirt and thatched huts and close to the earth. She's not dreaming of a Western medical clinic with white coats and, you know, chrome tables that shine and all that sort of stuff. And then she goes and she takes... A poisonous snake. Well, again, snake is the spleen element, potentially. The head of a snake is what she bites off, the most yang part. The uh, most yang herb is poisonous, if not processed properly. That's Heiner's whole thinking with this goose syndrome treatment of chronic Lyme patients, is that eventually they've got to get to, once you can get them ready for it, a futsa formula, whether it's Qian Yang Dan or Futsa Li Zhang or whatever, they're going to get into the Futsa realm at some point because the Gu disease process has hollowed them out. That's a key phrase that comes up apparently in the Chinese literature all the time. And people say that completely unaware of the Chinese literature. They say, I feel hollowed out. I don't feel myself, right? And it's, of course, a a possession syndrome. Uh, So anyway, you see that, and it was actually a year for her before she got onto an aconite formula, and now she's on them, off them, on them, off them as the need arises. And this happens with the chronic Lyme patients. If the disease process is in place a long time, you could end up with some permanent deficits, neurological deficits, degeneration in joints, and so on. And those are what you deal with once the person gets uh, her life back, which she, after about a year and a half of treatment, she owned three horses, was teaching horse riding, horseback riding to disadvantaged kids in town. She was running four spiritual book clubs a week, and she still is, by the way. She's really kind of considered a spiritual teacher uh, in Eugene. That all was unimaginable to her for some years because of how sick she was. And the dream says, the dream starts with this image of constraint and it goes on to, we have to get to the poison, right? The the head is the, the most young and a snake is the first hexagram by the way in the yijing, which is all six lines are yang lines. So you can't get more yang than the head of the snake. And it's poisonous. It has to be aconite, has to be. Wow. So that, I think, is just such a a classic dream. And that was probably maybe three or four months into experimenting with this uh, dream work. That one felt like a a, a total gift.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a number of gifts with this.
2: Oh, hundreds, hundreds. You just, I couldn't, you know, at one point in the early days of doing this, I was trying to write down all the patient dreams. Just forget it. There have been so many hundreds. And, you know, every week at school, a student will grab me and say, I I, I have this dream I have to tell you. My whole life is walking around with other people's dreams in my head. It's just, it's quite. Amazing to me how popular this has become at our school.
0: Well, and it sounds like in doing this work, you're also building your own symbol library in a very deep way.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it. We the vocabulary of images is being built. This is an interesting one that is only recently changed, and, and not all the time. But it would be that even though I had been doing dreams since 93, when a patient would say, I have a dream I want to tell you, my first e- experience inside myself was pure panic. It's like, oh, these people think that I understand something. And I would panic, like, I'm not going to come up with anything. It's going to be a total strikeout when the bases are lo- loaded, and I need to deliver a hit, you know, just pure Panic, but I remembered, you know, one of the Worsley people here in town, really the senior one, Joe Soprani, he taught one of our doctoral modules. And he said, My first 15 years in practice, every day driving to work, I was terrified. It helped me to remember that because that's only just recently shifted where many times now when I listen to a dream, I'm not terrified. <laughs> Which I consider a real (laughs) milestone.
0: Uh, It it always helps to have experience. You know, the more experience we have, it just seems to me that when we're sitting with that very pregnant moment of don't know, we can stay present with it. And and if we stay present with that not knowing, often things will arise. But you got to be able to hang with it it's like a wild horse is gonna to try to throw you before you get to ride it.
2: Can I give you three quotes from Carl Jung? Yeah, man, I love Carl Gustav. Yeah, let's, let's have them. Jeremy Taylor was a self-described loose Jungian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dreams, dreams are invariably seeking to express something that the ego does not know and does not understand. So it's from within the person, but it's not from their ego level of being. Then another quote, we have forgotten the age old fact that God speaks chiefly through dreams and visions. See, I don't discount the possibility that the reason I asked that first patient if she had some dreams and I hadn't been planning to do that, I had no conscious thought about it, it, could have been angelic intervention as far as I'm concerned. Here's another Carl Jung quote. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So dreams are important. They're important because it's important to tell them to other people. Jung said that he's as uniquely blind to certain things in his dreams as anyone else would be, even though he jumped into the whole dream process more than anyone that I can think of. So very important.
0: The more we learn about anything, the more we recognize that there's just not a whole lot that we really know.
2: Yeah, I I love embracing. I know you yourself study at Upaya, you know, the Zen idea of don't know mind, I'm very fond of. See, dreams are really koan study, in a way. That's where James Hillman arrived at the end, right? He, He was the head of the educational arm of the Jung Institute in Zurich for, I think, 17 years. Of course, he knew how to unpack a dream, but he was tired of that at the end, and he just preferred to just let the dream hit you as a koan would hit you and, and not pull it apart piece by piece. I think there's value in both. You see the way I unpacked that first dream and ended up at liver three, and it had great value. So there's value in that, but there's also value in especially certain images. There might be an enigmatic moment in a dream where I can even think of a dream where a a Zen monk is passing me by. And just the the look of his eyes to my eyes, and I give a slight bow, and he gets a kind of a, a funny little smile. And there is nothing to unpack for me there except to keep that image in uh, when I call it up, to just sit with the image, just as you would sit with a colon and colon study.
0: So, you know, you're right. I, I did spend a little time at Upaya. And and if there's anything that those months there instilled in me or something that I got to touch in on was this sense that when you don't know, it doesn't mean the end or stop or give up. It It just means settle down, get curious, be observant, be aware of what's coming up in myself, witness and see what's happening with the patient. And, and sometimes things will come through. And you were talking about in that first treatment with the liver three, that the words just kind of came out of your mouth. And I have experienced often in clinic That words will come out of somebody's mouth. It might be my mouth. It might be the patient's mouth. It doesn't matter whose mouth it comes out of. Sometimes something gets spoken, and the entire feeling in the room shifts. And something happens. And something's present. All of a sudden, there's a vast amount of information about how to proceed. Do you have these kinds of things happen too?
2: Yeah, I would say it's in the character of dreams themselves that they will do, they will make that same kind of shift in the room uh, that you're describing. Might just come out of our mouths absent a dream uh, being discussed. But the dreams have it in their nature that they can make that kind of shift in the quality of the conversation with the patient. And what happens with the dreams, by the way, that it has to be said here, is that when the patients see that from somewhere inside of themselves, we could call it a deeper level, an image or a group of images, the group is emerging with important health information, it transforms their consciousness. Their whole conversation with what we call consensus reality changes. You can't be in the dream business for, for long before you know, the nuts and bolts reductionistic worldview just crumbles. It just crumbles. You can't hold on to that and do the dream work as it should be done. You become transformed as a person, even working other people's dreams, because just the synchronicities and the inexplicable that show up, it's just too much once you go dream after dream dozen, hundreds. And all of a sudden, you just aren't living in the same waking life reality that you used to live in. And I think that's desirable because I think our consensus waking life reality is uh, very pathological. It should be evident what we've done to the poor Mother Earth, polluted everywhere, water, air, everywhere. And this is a product of how we're thinking. So that dream can do the same thing you're describing. It will happen with the dreams. One final word is when people, when you have a dream and it's overwhelming, just start looking for a few common themes, images that you can relate in some way together. And then it starts to become manageable. Yeah, I had a math test once where I thought I was going to get a zero. You know, it was upper division math, I literally thought I was going to get a zero. Then I thought, well, I can get a ten. I can answer part C of question four, and then I got a little more, and then a little more. I ended up getting a B minus on the test, just by inch by inch, you know, row by row. Arlo Guthrie song there. Uh, you know, going to make this garden grow. So, taking it a bit at a time, find the place where. You, you can get a toehold in the dream and start working from there and things will start to reveal themselves. Great.
0: Bob, I have so enjoyed this conversation and uh, it's getting close to wrapping it up here. Any resources that you would point people toward if they'd like to dip a little deeper into this?
2: Well, read the chapters in the Neijing first of all, because we want to do Chinese medicine dream work. We don't want to Pretend to be Jungian therapist That would be very dangerous. And read Jeremy Taylor's books. Just go to his website, jeremytaylor.com. It, the website's being maintained even though he passed away. But he has great uh, resources on his website. If you go through old newsletters, he even has one newsletter on Chinese medicine dream work. So that would be a great place to start. Another interesting uh, dream teacher would be Robert Moss, M-O-S-S. Uh, I think his work's very interesting, kind of a more shamanic approach there. And of course you could read Jung.
0: Classics, another type of classic. Well, great, Bob. Thank you so much. And I look forward to our next conversation.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends.